Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, and I know it is for many of you, my name's John. I'm the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out, particularly on Super Bowl Sunday, which I know is not till the nighttime, but for some reason that you know prevents people coming from church. Not a problem. Um, and the rain, because a lot of Christians melt in the rain, and I'm glad that you guys made it out here. This is exciting. You know, COVID is kind of finally waning a little bit, if you will. We're starting to see a lot of the old folks come back. And it's so exciting to see some of the old faces. I got a friend in the crowd today. Jill's here today. You guys don't know Jill. She's from the Great White North. She's down. I'm just excited. This is a day. But we are wrapping up this series that we're calling The Big Ten. And if it is your first time here, what we've been doing over the last five weeks is we've been taking a look at the Ten Commandments, the greatest set of rules that the world has ever seen. Now, you may not be a Christian here today, but chances are you've heard of the Ten Commandments. You might not know exactly what they say or what they mean, but you've just, you've heard them. And so every week we're diving in, we're trying to find out what they mean and what they mean for us. So wrapping up today, kind of bringing this all to a close, one of the things that I wanted to put in your mind is that when you look at the Ten Commandments, all ten beauties, what you see is that they are effectively split into two groups. Now, if you've been paying attention thus far, you may have noticed that for the last four weeks, all the commandments that we have looked for, one, two, three, four, coming up to the middle, they have all dealt with our relationship with God. Let me do a quick recap. We're in week two. We learned that God said he is our one and only God. He wants to be our front and center. He wants to be center stage in our life. He wants to be our one and only. He doesn't want to be the most important God in our lives. He doesn't want to be one of many gods in our lives. He wants to be the only God that we look to for everything. Then he said, I don't want you to make an idol of me. Don't turn me into a trinket. Don't make me into a statue. Don't make me into some monument whereby you can be in my presence when you choose to be and walk away and think that you can leave my presence. Don't do that. Don't try to shrink me down and make me manageable. And while we're at it, he said, don't make anything else into idols in your life. Meaning don't let anything else turn into a little G, God. And there's all sorts of things that we look to in our lives that often, unfortunately, become little G gods that sort of run the show. Week three, really interesting conversation. We looked at the third commandment, which many of us know as don't use the Lord's name in vain, uh, or the translation we looked at, don't misuse God's name and so often, as we said, we think that really means don't yell out Jesus' name when you stub your toe or something like that. And that's part of it, but it's really way bigger than that. And what we learn is the third commandment is God saying, hey, I don't want you to attach my name to anything I have not attached my name to. Don't use my name for your own purposes. And if you want to learn more about that, head to our website. And then last week, as we did our baby dedication, we looked at the fourth commandment where God commanded the uh, nation of Israel to honor the Sabbath. He said, I want you guys to work six days. And then on the seventh, I want you to stop. I want you to pause. And I want you to reflect on our relationship. I want you to reflect on the fact that I am your provider, your rescuer, your defender, your everything. And that brings us up to the middle of the commandments. When all of a sudden God pivots 
And he shifts our attention away from our relationship to him towards our relationship with others. All of a sudden, right around commandment five, God starts talking about the value of other people. So the first half is, I want you to honor me. And the second half of the commandments are, I want you to honor others. Honor me, honor others. Our relationship with God, our relationship with others. Now, for those of you who read your Bible, or for those of you who have been paying attention to kind of the messages that we give around here at this church a lot, this, this might sound familiar to you. In the New Testament, there's a really interesting incident where Jesus answers a question. And it was supposed to be a trap, but Jesus gave him a great answer. And I just want to show you this little incident. Matthew 22. One of them, an expert in the religious law, so this is a guy who really knew the law well, the Ten Commandments, everything else. So he tries to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus, you know, it would, please, you know would you mind letting us know, in your opinion, what is the most important commandment? Now, that's actually a really interesting question, isn't it? And when this guy says the law of Moses, what he's referring to are the Ten Commandments as well as the 613 other laws. Now, where do those other laws come from? Well, the Jews would create these laws in order to put a buffer, if you will, between the Ten Commandments and themselves. They, they were so concerned about breaking the Ten Commandments that they created all these other laws that would keep them from getting anywhere near the Ten Commandments. Now, that might sound crazy, but we do this too. You take the third commandment. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? Don't say God, don't say Jesus, that kind of a thing. How many of you grew up in a household where not only could you not say God or Jesus, but you couldn't say gosh, and you couldn't say geez, because that's, you're getting close there, mister, right? You're, you, have, you have now created laws that are preventing you from even getting near the, the original law. Now imagine being in this crowd when this question was asked. What is the most important question? Ima imagine being in the presence of Jesus, God himself, as we believe, waiting to hear what God would say is the most important command. What would he say? Let's take a look. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So there you go. Jesus says, you want to know what the most important commandment is? It's love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything. That's the greatest commandment. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't even take a breath. He just keeps plowing right through. And he goes, and a second is equally important. What? Jesus, are you saying, because I thought I heard you say equally important. Are you saying there's a second command out there that is equally important to loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength? Well, this I got to hear. I got to know what it is. So Jesus says a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God, love others. Honor God, honor others. These are the two most important commands that God wants you to obey. And then Jesus ties an incredible bow on this answer. He says, the entire law and the prophets 
hang, I love that word, just hang on these two commands. Now, when a Jewish person, and Jesus was Jewish, when a Jewish person said the law and the prophets, that's slang for the Hebrew Bible, okay? Jesus is saying all the Ten Commandments, all those laws of Moses, in fact, everything that you would read in the Bible can be summarized, hangs on, if you will, loving God and loving others. The first half of the Ten Commandments summarized and the second half of the Ten Commandments summarized. Jesus says, you, you do these two things, everything else falls into place. If you love God, let me tell you something. If you love God, you will never bow down to another God. If you love God, you will never create an idol of God. You'll never take his name in vain. You'll always remember to take a Sabbath and reflect on everything that he has done for you. And if you love others, you'll never steal from them. You'll never murder them. You'll never lie to them or lie about them. Now, what's so interesting about this encounter is we normally equate the loving others bit, if you will, to Jesus, right? He's the love guy. And God, let's be honest, God is kind of like the Old Testament punish smite guy. That's sort of how we view how, what this looks like. But 1,500 years before Jesus gave this answer, God wrote it in stone. And he handed it to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And in creating the second half of the Ten Commandments, and we're going to get to it in just a second, what God did is he created rules that would elevate the status of every man, woman, and child, regardless of their race and regardless of their socioeconomic status. And that was unheard of in the ancient world. I mean, unheard of. At that time, people ruled with power and might, and they ran roughshod over every single person around them. But God, in establishing his nation, cemented the fact that all humans, all humans were created in his image and therefore have rights. And we should honor and we should value the people around us. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Let's find out exactly how God wants us to honor and value the people that are around us. So after honoring God, right, that's the first half of the commandments, he then gives us the next category of people that he wants us to honor. And it's not who you think. So you might think he would say, I want you to honor your leaders, right? Your president, your king, you know, whoever's in charge, I want you to honor them. You might think he would say, I want you to honor the prophets, these emissaries, if I will, that's, that I send to you to speak on my behalf, I want you to honor them. Or maybe he'd even throw Moses a bone. Hey, I want you to honor Moses. I mean, he really did a solid for you guys. I want you to honor him. But take a look at what God actually said. The fifth commandment, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. I mean, out of nowhere, I want you to honor your father and mother. If the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods before me, is the foundation of the first half of the Ten Commandments. This is the foundation for the second half. Honoring your father and mother is the foundation upon which our love for our neighbor is built. That parental relationship, that's our first relationship in this world. It really is. And I would argue it shapes all of our other relationships. When you examine someone's personality, when you look at someone's character, 
at some level, who they are is a reflection of the relationship they had with their parents. It is that parent-child relationship that we learn to have respect, that we learn what it means to have someone over us in authority, what it means to submit to somebody else. Augustine once said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? I mean, wow, what a quote. Growing up, I had a couple of friends that just treated their parents so poorly. They were rude. They were disrespectful. And you could say the way that they treated their parents, that lack of respect, that bubbled into other areas of their life. That impacted the way that they would treat other people. That family unit, that's where we learn obedience and hopefully love and hopefully a sense of protection. The Jewish folks, they did not take the fifth commandment lightly. You know, we talked about how they created 613 other laws to insulate them, if you will, from, from even getting near the 10 commandments. Well, they created such a law to protect them from breaking the fifth commandment, and it is a doozy, but you gotta see it. Buckle up. Deuteronomy 21. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother, and will not listen to them when they discipline him. Look at this. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. And I gave you a couple of dot, dot, dots as it talks about how the mother and the father are supposed to drag them out to the city gates. I mean, it's not a pretty picture. Now, imagine knowing this law. L living 2,000 years ago, where this is an actual law in your society, in your culture, that you will be held accountable to, and then imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus when he begins to tell you a story about a prodigal son. I mean, it is only with this knowledge that you see how scandalous that parable was. And it's only with this knowledge that you see how remarkable that parable is. And if you don't know that parable, I recommend you go read it. Let me read you the rest of the fifth commandment because it is the only commandment, the only one, that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, truthfully, I don't think this translation is that great. I think it's kind of hard to understand exactly what the promise is, this land the Lord is giving you. So Paul, this guy who wrote over half the New Testament, he actually refers back to the fifth commandment. And he restates it in a way that I think makes much more sense to our ears. In Ephesians, Paul says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So he tells us that. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. What he's saying has nothing to do with the length of our life. It's actually the quality of our life. He's saying, if you want to live a full and abundant life, honor your parents. If you want to enjoy all the blessings of God that he has in store for you, and I know you do, honor your parents. Think about this, fifth commandment. God could have said, honor your parents or else. Just honor your parents or else. But instead he goes, you're going to want to do this. Now, it's not in your sin nature to want to do this, but don't you want a full life? Yeah, you do. Don't you want to experience my blessings? Yeah, you do. And so God gives us all a path toward that end. 
And it begins with children of any age honoring mom and dad. And then we get to the commandments we all know. We're finally there, right? The, like the, the greatest hits, the one if I said, hey, can you name the Ten Commandments? These are the ones that you would be able to name. And what we see here is God really beginning to get specific about how we are to honor and value other people. Sixth commandment, you must not murder. Which means I want you to honor other people's bodies. Seventh commandment, you must not commit adultery. Which means I want you to honor other people's marriages. Eighth commandment, you must not steal which means I want you to honor other people's properties. And this is amazing. Baked into God's own law, he is implying ownership in this world, that nobody, no government, no group, no person can take what is rightfully yours. Ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, which means I want you to honor their reputation. And then things get really interesting as we finally get to the last and final, the 10th commandment. Because the final commandment really is what I'll call an unenforceable commandment. Because it deals with something that's invisible. It deals with your thoughts, your emotions, your heart. It's a command that shows up all over scripture. I mean, it shows up all the time in the New Testament. It's a law that no other culture had. I mean, the other cultures back then had prohibitions against theft and, and murder and that kind of a thing, but no other culture, as far as we can see, had any kind of prohibition against uh, unhealthy desire of the heart. It is in the 10th commandment where God effectively says, just so you know, you're accountable to me for what you think. You're accountable to me for what you feel. Take a look, 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, coveting means to desire strongly. It doesn't mean to admire. It, it actually is uh, to, to want for ourselves what somebody else has. It's even going beyond that. Coveting is, I actually have negative feelings towards you because of what you have and what I lack. Coveting means I don't like you because... Your car's nicer than mine, or your house is bigger than mine. Coveting means we actually find joy in other people's misfortunes. Oh, you wrecked your Ferrari. Well, that's a shame. Oh, your son lost their scholarship at Harvard. Oh, that must be so hard for you guys. Coveting erodes relationships. You've seen it happen. Coveting erodes respect. In week one, if you were here, we landed on a truth. We said, you know, you can learn a lot about a person by the rules they give. You can really discern and discover what is important to someone based on the rules that they dole out. Now, when you look at the Tenth Commandment, when you look at God's command to not covet, what we learn is that your heart is important to God. What you think, what you feel, those inner motives, those inner machinations, if you will, those matter to God. Yes, he is absolutely 100% concerned about your actions, but he is equally concerned about what's happening below the surface. You know, all the stuff you're really good at hiding from the rest of the world. He's concerned about that. 
Now, knowing this really helps us to understand so much of what Jesus taught. One time Jesus said, you know, you've heard that it was said to our people long ago, you must not murder anybody, right? He's referencing the sixth commandment here. But I say, or I tell you rather, if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you'll be judged. I'm not just concerned about your actions. I'm concerned about the state of your heart. He goes, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, referencing the seventh commandment. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I'm not just concerned about the physical act of adultery. I'm equally concerned about What's going on in your heart and in your mind? This is one of the most famous moments from the Sermon on the Mount. And I just have to imagine when the original audience heard this, they were going, where's he getting this from? I don't, this is the 10th commandment. What we see Jesus doing here is he is using the 10th commandment to not only reinforce all of the other commandments, but he's actually using the 10th commandment to raise the bar. Let me read you the rest of the 10th commandment. Here you go. It's very interesting. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor's house. Here's what this means. You're accountable to God for what you think about somebody else. You're accountable to God for what you feel about someone else. You're accountable to God for all those imaginary conversations you have, all those shower arguments you get into, and those moments when you want to slam your car headlong into Chick-fil-A traffic. God is commanding us to guard our hearts. That is the 10th command. I want you to guard your hearts because he knows, he knows that this last commandment, if violated, could, not saying it will, could cause us to violate all the other commandments. Because if I covet, if I covet long enough and hard enough and I want that thing bad enough, I am liable to steal it. If I covet long enough, hard enough, and I want that thing bad enough, I am liable to kill for it. And if I covet long enough, hard enough, if I want that thing bad enough, there is a chance that I'm liable to lie about you in order to get it. Now, these are extremes. I understand that. But when, you, when, when coveting enters your heart, you just work your way through those Ten Commandments and you can see yourself breaking every single one. They just start falling like dominoes. When you covet, it can lead to idolatry. As you begin to almost worship that thing that you want so badly. When you covet, it can cause you to take God's name in vain as you try to manipulate and use Him to get the things that you want. And most painfully, when we covet, what we're really saying is that we don't believe that God is big enough to help us or good enough to care. 
You see, the reason do not covet is the last commandment is because it is a fitting summary of everything that has come before it. Because it's impossible to covet and love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. They are mutually exclusive. 3,500 years ago, God laid out the rules for his nation. Honor God, honor others, guard your heart. Honor God, honor others, guard your heart. Now let me talk to the Christians in the room, because I know we have a few of you here. I want you to look at this list. Isn't this something you just want to do? I mean, would, wouldn't you want to marry somebody who did this? Wouldn't you want to hire someone who did this? Wouldn't you want your kids to grow up doing this? I mean, isn't this something, Christians, come on, isn't this something that you should just do? Not to get in good with God, not so that he'll love you and accept you, but because we are in with God and because he has accepted us because of his son, Jesus Christ. When you really step back and you do a 36,000-foot view of the Ten Commandments, what is clear is that God was not trying to make bad people good. And that's so often how we view his rules. I'm bad. God's good, right? And in order for him to accept me, I got to get gooder. Okay, that's not a word. I got to get gooder, so I'm going to do his thing. Getting good has nothing to do with Ten Commandments. You go back and you study the full law. God made provisions for when we would break the law which means he assumed that we would break the law. Now, God's rules were not made to make bad people good. The goal was to keep free people free. The goal of the Ten Commandments was, was not to establish a relationship with a group of people. The goal of the Ten Commandments was to protect a relationship that had already been established by faith, by trust. How do I know this? Well, when Moses finally got the Ten Commandments, he was up there for 40 days on Mount Sinai. And when he walked back down that mountain, we read that when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. It says they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself, okay? Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God Speak to us or we will die. They saw the power of God with their own eyes and they were overwhelmed. And then Moses puts the entire Ten Commandments in great context for us. Moses said to them, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you. Here it is, to keep you from sinning. Now it talks about fear kind of a confusing word for us sometimes. And in most of scripture, when it talks about the fear of God or fear God, it's an ancient way of saying have respect for God, have reverence for God. But part of me thinks right here, this might be some good old-fashioned fear. Because I do think that everyone should be a little afraid of their parents. I just do. What Moses is saying here is God is not putting the fear of God in you, if you will, for his sake. He's doing it for your sake. Because the Ten Commandments are not about making bad people good. 
but about keeping free people free from sin. Now, in the New Testament, we are reminded over and over and over again that God sent, like as God sent, I should say, his law to those people, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to us to pay for our sins, to teach us how to live, not to make us better people. That's just a byproduct. But to keep us free from the consequences of sin. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So in week one, I gave you a practical. And it was a question. And it was really a prompt to kind of get you ready for the journey upon which we were about to embark as we examined the Ten Commandments. Now, after five weeks, I'm going to be so bold as to take that question and turn into a challenge. And my hope and my prayer is that you will take this challenge to heart. And, 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 and here it is. It's time to rethink God's rules. It's time. It is time to rethink the way we think about God's rules. My prayer is that having spent five weeks you know, examining the greatest set of rules the world has ever seen, my prayer is that we would have a proper understanding of why God gives his rules to those he loves. Because how many times do we open up scripture and we read a thou shalt or thou shalt not, and we think, I don't want to do that. That's just God trying to remove my freedom. My prayer is that after having now examined the Ten Commandments, that every single time we see a do this or don't do that, every time we come across a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, we would instead say, there goes my Heavenly Father trying to keep me free. Jesus once said, if you love me, obey my commands. Now, this is not a threat. This is not him being passive-aggressive. And he's certainly not saying it for his sake. He's saying it for our sake. And because he gave his life for us in order to keep us from the power of sin, he's going to tell us how to live and what we should do and what we shouldn't do in order to keep us free. As new creations in Christ, those of us who have said yes to him, the commandments of God are not only our duty, but they're also our delight. And if we want to love Christ as he deserves and as he desires, if we want to love other people as they deserve and as God desires, then we will keep his commandments. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you that we had the opportunity for the last five weeks to study your law. A set of rules that we have all heard about, we have all heard, and perhaps at some point we made the decision that they were antiquated, that they were just something we see on a poster. But God, those rules are alive. And you gave them not to make us good people, not to get us in with you, Lord. You gave them to keep us free from the power of sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you would help change the way that we view your rules. 
Lord, I pray that after having examined the Ten Commandments for the last five weeks, we would all know that a relationship with you begins through faith, not by obeying rules. Help us, Lord, as we leave today to live differently, to serve you and love you with all of our hearts, God, and to love the people around us as you've commanded. We ask all this in Jesus' name.